What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> Are you ready? Sure. Let's do it. All right. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast today. No co-host, but Nathan Brooks. How's it going, everybody? Yeah. Nathan, what's your... What's I'm trying your, to be like Lee because he always he asks always people asks, how they're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I know he always, they can't respond. Exactly. I've told him that before, but it's just kind of become Lee's thing. So mm-hmm. I, just, I just let him go with it. Mm-hmm. And the reason Lee's not here today is he's unfortunately has to be at a funeral. So, I mean, obviously expected. And last week we uh, we didn't have a podcast to put out because I don't want to blame Lee, but he was playing hooky to go fishing. Well, yeah, I can't blame him for that. <laughs> no, I mean, I think everybody up here has done that one or two days. I think this week about everybody's done at least one day. But since things are going on right now outside, the white bass are running, spring fishing's picking up. I know you've caught a lot of crappie. Yeah. And uh, some largemouth, and I mean, you've, you've been having really good luck fishing. Yep. That's going on. Spring turkey season starts tomorrow. Can't wait. Youth turkey season was last weekend. So, so many things are going on right now. It's really not possible. I mean, we have to do a podcast today. We wouldn't be doing our jobs right if we weren't. So Yeah, yeah. There's too much to talk about right now. There's so much going on. It's one of those times of the year where it's it's like this time of year and then the fall when deer season's starting um, that you really, you can't, you can't help but to be outside. Yeah, exactly. And I appreciate you jumping in and kind of helping out short notice. I think, I mean, we actually went and ate lunch, what, an hour ago? <laughs> yeah, <pretty laughs> I told you at lunch that, <laughs> hey, I need to do a podcast today and I'm trying to figure out who to, who to have on and you volunteered so i appreciate Here you coming on yeah exactly no problem and i tell you right before you walked in i put a uh, facebook post up on the kentucky field facebook page yeah. and I, I had my phone sitting here next to me and i can see notification after notification coming in and it was the facebook post about the white bash run uh, we went on a shoot yesterday down at the salt river mm-hmm. and i tell you what it's kind of amazing to me how close people pay attention to that it's like the White Bass Run is this big event, and there's this huge group of people out there that are looking for information on it and just kind of waiting for it yep. every year. Yep. I've kind of just keyed in on it the past three or four years or so. Yeah, I mean, before three or four years ago, myself, I, I didn't even know anything about it. I'm from the western part of the state, um, and you got Nolan over there, but still I never really knew much about it. And then when I started work, working for the department and – it's like one of those things that everybody kind of paid attention to and keyed into with our fisheries biologists. Like, I mean, they were so aware of when it was going to happen, and you get these reports. And with the the uptick in social media, mm-hmm. um, it's it's great. But for somebody that's been doing it for twenty years, yeah, it's not so good because they're like, Man, where are yeah. these people coming from? And it's primarily because of social media. And, and I'm I'm one of those as well. I went actually this week, the first time I'd ever taken part in the White Bass Run, and honestly, I didn't have the best day. But um, a lot of people are. And it's just one of those things that if you've never done it before and you're an outdoorsman, you're a fisherman, you got to try at least once because just to see, even if you're not catching white bass, you're probably going to catch a drum, um, bass, sauger, walleye, sauga, you know, you name it, they're going to be up there somewhere. So it's just one of those experiences this time of year where you want to get out there and experience it and uh, try something new if you've never been out there, whether it's a salt river off of Tedersville Lake, Nolan River. Um, or even down the Dix River. Well, there, I mean, there are a lot of places to go, but one thing I will say is that we're ahead of it right now. Yeah. One reason that, because I went with you the other day when you said you went, mm-hmm. me, and, me and you went together, and we'd been catching a lot of white bass. I'd been out there a few times before that, and they'd all been males. And I'm not sure if everybody understands the biology of the white bass run or how it works, why it happens. But basically, like you said, Nolan River, uh, Dix River, uh, there used to be a really good one um, above Harrington. 
I'm not sure what waterway that is, though. That is the Dix. That is the Dix. Yep. So a lot of people fish it near the Kentucky River there also. And then the Salt River, where we went, those are all above big lakes yep. that hold hundreds and hundreds. I have no idea how many white bass are in those lakes. But in order to spawn, the white bass need moving water. Right. That's just how they have to have moving water. So in the spring, when it's time for them to spawn, all the white bass, or a huge percentage of them, move out of that lake and go into that skinny little river. Yep. And that's why you can line the bank with 50 to 100 people fishing 20 yards apart, and everybody's just catching fish after fish after fish. Yep, they're just stacked in there. They're just flooding through there. And there's not enough food to go around. So, yep. I mean, you got so many hungry fish, and that's why it's so much fun. It's it's yep. a it's a blast mm-hmm. when you get out there and you catch it right. But And it's fun. You're, like, you're, you're looking down 20 yards down the creek, the river one way, and then look the other way, and everybody's catching yeah. fish. Yeah. And so you don't feel like, okay, I need to move down there or somewhere else, because you're usually catching fish, dude. And that's not always the case. Fishing is still fishing, mm-hmm. um, but it's usually pretty good. And the thing is, um, you know, a lot of times, like say you're bass fishing somewhere and all of a sudden some dude comes and stands 20 yards from you. You know, you might give him a little side eye look or something like that. But when you're fishing the white bass run, there's really no reason to. Yep. Because, I mean, they're moving through there. They're moving ups. and, And, you know, I think technique plays a little bit of a role also. When we went the other day, not to bash at all, but I had a little bit better day than you. And I think it's oh, yeah. because of some equipment. I think it's partially true, yeah. Yeah. 100%. And you were using lighter line. Mm-hmm. Your your fishing rod was probably a foot longer, right? Uh, was yours yeah. a 7.6? Seven, 7.4. Seven, 7.4. So it might have been, you know, 6 to 10 inches longer than what I was using. Mm-hmm. So you could cast just a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And we were on the side of the river where the channel was on the other side, closer to the bank. So in order to get some of that uh, into some deeper waters, you had to cast a little farther. And so mm-hmm. you were catching some other kind of fish that needed that deeper water. Yeah. Well, yeah, like you said, some other types of fish. I mean, I was catching saw guy. You caught a drum that day. Yep. I saw yesterday, I saw hybrids, white bass, largemouth bass, all, catfish. Yeah. People are catching everything out of yep. there. But, you know, I think that equipment kind of depends on the day. Because some days they're going to be up shallower, some days are going to be closer to the bank. So it's not like one technique always works, but mm-hmm. there are a few pretty safe bets yep. that if somebody wanted to go catch white bass, they could go down to the headwaters of one of those lakes. So the Nolan River above Nolan Lake, or the Dix River above Harrington, or the Salt River above Taylorsville. And there's a few techniques they could try when the run's happening. Yep. And I feel like you're pretty much guaranteed to catch fish. So what were you using uh, Wednesday when you were catching fish? I had a white, it was a two-inch white twirl tail grub on a eighth-ounce pink jig head. Pink jig head. Just simple as yeah. it gets. I was throwing it out there, letting it sink, and reeling it slow because mm-hmm. I felt like the fish were deeper. And it was a curly tail grub, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are yeah. using a paddle tail. Mine was more of a paddle tail on just a non-painted eighth-ounce jig head um, white grub, um, about an inch and a half. So I wasn't quite uh, – I didn't have quite the success, but I was catching white bass and other things yeah. as well. So Well, the thing is that pretty much anything that's going to imitate a minnow is going to work. Right. And that's that's the goal is just to imitate what they're eating. Mm-hmm. So uh, paddle t- – I mean, anything like a small swim bait, a yeah. twirl tail grub, and try white, try chartreuse. And I talked to Joe McDermott on the phone who's been catching a lot. I talked to him about half an hour ago, and he said they caught a bunch of big females on orange the other okay. day. And I say big females. I should have said this a second ago, but earlier I said we were mostly catching males, right? That's because the males move upstream first. They're going right. to come a week beforehand. So if you hear about a lot of people catching a bunch of small white bass, get ready because within the next, you know, two, three days, a week, two weeks, yeah. 
there's going to be bass that are about three times that size yep. moving up. So yeah, on Wednesday I felt like we were catching a lot of a lot of smaller fish. Mm-hmm. So I know this weekend we're looking at some rain on Sunday specifically. So I'm looking at maybe early next week going back mm-hmm. and hopefully catching a little bit better quality fish. You know, and and it's so easy to miss. You know, you, it could happen pretty quick from my understanding too, where where those females come up, but they can. I don't know exactly how, exactly how far up the river they go, but I know they can go pretty far. We caught them pretty far up last year. Yeah. But um, like I said, still early. Another good thing about it is that it's kind of staggered. Right now, the Salt River is, I mean, the white bass are running, but like I said, it's still early. Nolan River, from what I've heard, hasn't started yet. Mm-hmm. And today is, excuse me, today is April the 12th for the people who might be listening to this three or four days from now. Yep. So I would expect within the next week that the Nolan River and the Dix River maybe start turning on too, and there's opportunities all over the state. And last year for the TV show, I know Chad went down the, to the Nolan River with Rick Hill, and they were using the same white paddle tail grub that I was using on Wednesday, and they just slayed them that last year at Nolan. And that's mainly why I used it, and that's actually the same bait I've been using to catch a bunch of crappie in this lake I have access to. Yeah. So that's why I was throwing it, just because I knew it could catch some fish. You've been you've been fishing a small a small lake. Yeah, it's about seven acres. So a yeah. small a small private lake, yeah. and that that's a great opportunity this time of year also. Yes, absolutely. Throwing the exact same baits that you're talking about throwing for the white bass, mm-hmm. and you I've, I've seen your stringers. We actually put a picture of one of your stringers on yeah. the Kentucky Field Instagram page. Maybe on Facebook also. I, I can't remember. So, yes. yeah, but I mean, so, I mean, it was just a, a stringer of really nice eater-sized yeah. crappie, which yeah. are about as good as it gets. Yeah, I've been having uh, some good meals recently, for sure. Yeah, I'd say so. And then something else coming up. Obviously, we've hit on the white bass run, why it happens, how how to fish it, and when to fish it. But you know what? Just while we're talking about Rick Hill and the white bass run, if somebody wants to see how to do it in person, Get on YouTube and just type in Kentucky Field White Bass. I filmed a segment with Charlie Logston two years ago. I know Jameson filmed a segment with Rick Hill last year. And I mean, and they're showing you the baits. They're showing you how it works, talking about it. So get on YouTube and, and watch one of those if you're interested in trying it out. And then, you know, there's some Facebook groups that you can get on too and kind of see what's going on. But give it a try. Early to mid-April is really the best bet. And the, and the great thing about this 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 way of fishing is that for I know at least Nolan River, the access we had last year, and then the Salt River ahead of Taylor uh, above Taylorsville, is you can walk in, you can park and walk in pretty close. You don't necess- you don't need a boat. Um, Taylorsville specifically on the Salt River. Um, that access is going to close mm-hmm. um, starting Saturday for the duration of turkey season because it's a WMA as well. So mm-hmm. so that won't be the case after basically after today. But so when you say the access closes, it's not that you don't have access. Right. You can still get there. So, you still got to walk a little bit, a little bit farther. So the way it works on Taylorsville, there's a road called River Road that is a WMA road that parallels the river. But there are parking lots on River Road that are you get access to from actual county roads. Mm-hmm. You can drive that county road down and park at the parking lot and then walk River yeah. Road. You just can't drive a vehicle yeah. on it. So you can still fish it during turkey season, but for safety reasons or I'm not I'm not I'm not 100% sure I shouldn't speak on it really. Yeah, they just don't want a bunch of hunters getting down there and parking all along that River Road. They could block it up pretty good. They could bad. block it up. But I mean, you still have pretty good access to Palmer Road. You can still park pretty close. You're what 150 200 yards away from the from the river. Yeah, it's not bad at all. It's not too bad. And you so. can park off 248 there by uh, the Rock Quarry, if people know mm-hmm. where that is. There's a, there's a parking spot off 248 where you can walk upstream. Yeah. 
and uh, and be pretty close to the right and spot there. And I apologize there. to all those people that have hunted that have fished down there for twenty years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it's one of those things as a department we want to promote uh, the access and the fishing and and the the uh, I think there's plenty of fish there for everybody. Oh, there are. Um, it's like we talked about if somebody's fishing 20, 30 yards away from you, um, it's one of those things where it's not as big of a deal as if you're a hardcore bass fisherman and somebody comes in on your spot. Not just that, but when you say we want to promote, this is one of the best opportunities to promote because. Say you say you have a kid, which you will <laughs> sometime soon. Yeah, <laughs> September yeah. for me. Yeah, you'll have a kid at some point. But say that kid is uh, five or six years old. You want to get them out there fishing for the first time. There's not a much, there's not many better opportunities to take a younger person fishing for the first time than the white bass run. Right. Because they're going to catch fish. Yeah. If the fish are running, they're going to yep. catch fish. They're going to see people catching fish. It's not It's not that much of a hit or miss. It's more of a hit, hit, hit. You might want to find a spot where there's an open spot in the trees mm-hmm. if, if they have yes. difficulty casting because there's some overhanging limbs and those kind of things. But but it is a great way to get get kids out there and yeah. uh, let them experience catching fish for the first time and maybe being in an environment they've never been in right along the river where they're you know you see across and you never know what you're going to see up in the woods across mm-hmm. the way or what you're going to catch yeah um back to palmer road being or river road being closed for turkey season that starts tomorrow that's one of those things that we mm-hmm. were we were talking about during lunch we had our maps pulled out and we were hammering down details yeah definitely you know where i'm gonna go because you went there last year with right. me i've got a feeling i know where you're gonna go yeah because well you showed me a map at lunch <laughs> <laughs> yeah you probably know where I'm. yeah yeah well, at least this year probably won't be snowing no now i might next week but at least tomorrow it's not going to be snowing you know, as much as I didn't enjoy that, I mean, because it was what twenty eight degrees when we hunted together last year, and I, I was I had to sit still for like twenty minutes without moving. <laughs> I, I was sat in that spot pretty much for about five or six hours before we, they came around to us. We sat still for six hours that day, but yeah, tomorrow's going to be much more. I'll do it again tomorrow in a heartbeat, though. Yeah, okay, so that same experience. Actually, you know what? I can't do it tomorrow because one of my extremely good friends who I thought was much, much smarter than this, <laughs> scheduled his wedding for tomorrow. That's, so That's just breaking the code right I there. That's just, it. I don't understand that at all. Well, he's not the, he isn't the biggest turkey hunter in the world. Yeah. He's a big time deer hunter. I yeah. know, I know he wouldn't schedule it on September 1st mm-hmm. or the first day of deer season, but yeah. he just didn't have the, I'm assuming that might be a call his wife made or his future wife made. Yeah. And he just kind of went with the punches, but yeah, thank you. thanks to Scott and Carly. I only have tomorrow morning to hunt, and because of a rehearsal dinner today, I'm not going to be able to put them to bed like mm-hmm. I would prefer to. That's one of my yeah. favorite ways to go about doing it yeah. is put them to bed. Yeah, if you can see where they're flying up the night before, you you got such a head start on them the yeah. next morning well, because how, you know exactly where they're at. That's how it worked out for us last year. Yep. I went out there the night before, mm-hmm. and I put them to bed, and uh, we went back the next morning. We knew exactly where they were roosted. And, I mean, it worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah, the only reason we were there for five or six hours is because when they came down off roost, they went to the other side of the field, but they just sat there and milled around for several hours, and they slowly worked their way back to us. And obviously, that's why we were there for that long. But yeah. uh, there was a coyote that came in between, so you killed the coyote. So they actually got re-roosted at one yeah, point. Yeah, you're right. They went back up at some point. Yeah, I remember we were sitting there, and it was snowing, and it was cold, and we, we had these turkeys 250 yards away. We had a couple decoys out, but there were hens. I think there was like probably eight or nine hens and two or three toms oh, in that least, group. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we we were just going to wait them out. And then sure enough, I saw that coyote across the field and he worked all the way over to those turkeys. And those turkeys let him get pretty close. And then they all just flew up in the trees. And he, I guess he saw our decoys. 
he thought he was going to sneak around through the woods and yep. come get on our decoys, but he got... Little did he know that we were <laughs> sitting there and... <laughs> he, he made the wrong decision. Yeah. I actually had buckshot in my backpack that day just in case we saw a coyote, and it, he gave us enough time where we saw him dip into the woods and mm-hmm. come our way that I had enough time to... Because our backs to, were to a creek, and he probably yeah. wasn't going to cross that. Not when it's 23 degrees. No. no. So I ejected those turkey loads and put some buckshot in there, and I had my shotgun pulled up, pretty much knew exactly where he was going to be. And you watched straight down my barrel as he poked his head around that tree. and Yeah. He didn't go very far after that. And then it worked out. We both got a shot at a turkey. Yeah, we don't have to relive that. (laughs) There was a little sapling about an inch across that uh, didn't make it. So Yeah. Oh, well. But the turkey did. You still got one that year. I did. It's all good. I will say this. As far as turkey hunting goes, I'm not sure if most of our listeners are experienced turkey hunters or or newbies. or I'm I'm really no expert. No, I'm not not either. I've only been doing it for three or four years myself. I've hunted for a while. I've, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I've had some success, but... I mean, I'm not the kind of person who knows a lot. Uh, I'm, I feel like I know some about turkey hunting, but I don't consider myself an expert. Yeah. I go out there, and I have a lot of fun with it. I try new things. I run and gun. This year, I'm thinking about trying turkey reaping on private mm-hmm. property. I, I was thinking about that at lunch, actually. But I would say that the little bit of advice I could have out of the, the biggest mistakes I make were overcalling. When I was learning how to do it, yep. overcalling was a was a big one because yep. you just want to talk to him. Mm-hmm. You just want to keep talking to him. Yeah, and uh, not being patient enough. Yep, was another one. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the uh, biggest and most obvious mistakes I would make when I was younger, and I, I might do it this year too. You know, because <laughs> I might make the same exact mistake. Is say you get out there and you have you set up and you got a turkey goblin right, and you, he's three hundred yards away, he's two hundred yards away. Yeah, but you can't see him. And he's goblin, and then you got another turkey goblin, four hundred yards away. So you got two birds in Other different locations. Of, yeah. yeah, and you're working this one bird, and then all of a sudden he goes quiet. Well, when you're sitting there and you got another turkey goblin off in the distance, it seems five minutes seems like an hour. Yep, it does. So if that turkey goes quiet, and you're hearing that other turkey goblin. Uh, five, 10, 15 minutes goes by, you feel like you have got to get up and mm-hmm. make a move. You don't want to waste any time. Yeah, it's like, but uh, what's an analogy? It's like you're, that might be a bad analogy. <laughs> I'm not sure where you're going with this nah. one. Well, I'll just tell you. <laughs> it's like, say you're say you're a single guy, you're, you're sitting in the bar and you're talking to this pr- go, yeah. pretty girl, right? You got this pretty girl, you're talking to her. She gets up to go take a phone call or she she goes somewhere else. And she's gone for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. She said she'd be back, but there's, you just never know. There's this other pretty girl <laughs> yeah. over there, and she's waving at you, and she's winking at you. And it's like, you could sit there, and that, that first pretty girl might not come back, but your best bet's to sit and wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see, yeah. see, see what happens. <laughs> and then Because when I've made that mistake before, I've stood up, I've crept up on that other turkey, yeah. and then I've looked back. As soon as I set up in my other spot, there's this big strutter mm-hmm. walking around right where right, you were, right where I was. Yeah, and I, I agree 100%. I hear that from several people before that if you have one goblin at you and they go quiet, your best is, bet is to sit there. A lot of times they'll come in quiet. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yep. that's the thing the turkeys do when they're when they're on the move. They might just hush up and mm-hmm. come on in. So yeah, you know, like I said, I don't have a ton of turkey hunting experience. I grew up as a deer hunter. Um, and a fisherman mainly and so I just picked up turkey hunting a few years ago and I've killed a couple birds but primarily my main uh, education in terms of turkey hunting has come from Tim Farmer former Mm -hmm. host of Kentucky Field because when I first started with the show and videoing hunts 
um, I was out with him on at least five or six different turkey hunts, and that's where I learned everything from. And and I agree with Chase 100. This the, the main thing that Tim always told me was be patient and do not overcall. Mm-hmm. If the more you call in his experiences, the less likely you are to have some luck. And to me, you know, a lot of people like the loud yelps and those kind of things, which are good to an extent. But when you feel like you're making progress with a bird, with a bird, and you feel like they might be coming in, but you're not sure, he liked to use a soft purr. And so I've used that several times to really soft call. It's got to be loud enough to where they can hear you, but just a little bit of soft, you know, uh, talking talking to them a little bit and, and working on those last, you know, 50 to 100 yards to get close enough for a shot. That's what I would recommend, and that's what I try to do, and I've had, you know, some success with that last year or two. Um, so that's what I would recommend, and that just comes from my experiences working with Farmer and uh, and what he is, uh, has told me. Yeah, I, I'd say let them know you're there. Yeah, and that's all you really got to do. You're, it's not like you're actually going to talk them in. And in nature, so the, the way turkeys are actually supposed to do it. Yeah, it's just so weird how we try to hunt them. Yeah, yeah, you're trying to call this tom into you. In nature, the toms gobble and the the hens go to the toms. Yeah. So you're that's why a Jake decoy or something like that really helps is because when that tom thinks that those hens aren't coming to him for a reason, such as they've already got a Jake with them, that's why he's more more willing to go in there and whoop up on that jake yeah but if um you know it's unnatural what we try to do when we try to call toms to the hens with just a bunch of hen calls yeah and i think seeming overexcited like an over anxious hen or just an overly talkative hen can go against what you're trying to do right We'll just call them to you. Just act like you're a little interested. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't make them think that you're really going to walk and over there. Use the there. terrain to your advantage too, because if you got a ridge um, in, in kind of a, a more terrain oriented area where there's some ridges and those kind of things, use that ridge to your advantage and set up just over the edge of the ridge to where that tar- that tom has to kind of poke his head up over to see and just come a little bit closer. Um, so that the, they'll work a little closer for you. Yeah, that's something Harold Knight said also when we talked mm-hmm. to him was uh, use the roll in the hill. You know, don't let that turkey see until it's at yeah. 40 yards or, or 50 yards or something and, like and that. And another way to utilize that terrain and that ridge is, um, so let's say you hear a tom goblin, you know, and you're not sure exactly where he is. He could be on the next ridge over. He could be down at the bottom of the ridge. And he could be all the way over on this side of the ridge. When you're walking along that ridge to determine where he is, don't poke your head up over there. Um, walk along the edge and call a little bit just to see how they respond and then maybe get to a point where okay where now i've got to put my head to see where it is but maybe he'll get get curious enough where he'll work his way to where you never even have to crest that ridge because obviously turkeys have such amazing eyesight mm-hmm. and the first time they see you and recognize that it's uh you're a predator to them they're gone yeah, well i'll say this every animal has its defense mechanism right box turtles have their little box they go into deer have it's called their shell but yeah yeah, well, they're called box turtles. We, we should call it a shell turtle. Maybe we should. <laughs> okay. Maybe we should. We'll, we'll so, ask our, our biologist about that. You know what I mean. A deer has its nose. A deer also has some other good senses, too. Um, but obviously, every animal that has successfully survived to this point, you know, they've been around for a long time for a reason. The reason the turkey is, is around is because of its eyes. It's not like that thing can, I mean, it can run okay, but it's not going to outrun a coyote on the ground for long. No, that's why they fly up, yeah. Yeah, they can barely fly. Mm-hmm. That I mean, they mostly glide. Yep. They can fly up to roost. They can fly up. That, that's why they a lot of times roost on ridges and mm-hmm. things, is so they can glide down further. But you're not going to beat a turkey's eyes. Camo is really important. I don't think camo is that important for coyote hunting or deer hunting or anything like that. I think it is for turkey hunting. Right. And another important thing is is movement because that's what they're picking up on. So that's yeah, they can they can see your shape if you're not uh, um, if you don't have a tree behind you, a big tree. 
But if you're outlined somehow, you're you're done for. You're not gonna have much luck. And like like Shay said, that movement um, and it's so important when you're set up and you think that turkey's coming in to have that gun up on your knee, ready to go, where you mm-hmm. have the least movement possible to get to, to take a shot. Because if they see you, they're going to be gone. They'll be putt, putt, putting and be out of there. I would suggest breaking up your silhouette. You don't want to be silhouetted against the skyline. You want a tree behind you. You want a hillside behind you. You want something. And then I like a little bit of 3D cover. Throw something in front of you if you have to. If, if you're hunting bare ground, I will take sticks or I will mm-hmm. take little branches off trees and I will literally stick them in the ground just to give like a little bit of depth to, to my setup. Target hunting so are just from our standpoint of filming our hunts uh, for Kentucky Field TV. Um, obviously, we got two people out there, mm-hmm. sometimes more than that, but we have our hunter, which is usually Chad, and then our cameraman, who's on a tripod. Tripod and camera, obviously, are not normal in the woods, so turkeys can pick up on that. So what we do to kind of conceal that is we take you know, some camo wrapping around it. It has some leafy look to it, and wrap it around the camera and the, the, the tripod. And that's not such a bad idea to do for yourself either. Mm-hmm. If you're in an area where it's kind of barren ground, there's not much cover, uh, get something like that and to, and cover yourself up. It can really help to break up your silhouette. I completely agree. You know, you used to, I mean, you, you started off at Kentucky Field in the same position. You were an, a, a videographer, producer, right? Right. Then you were executive producer. And right now you're detailed into a role because yep. just filling some holes, helping out, mm-hmm. moving on up. And um, so you're not filming as much right now. Right. Unfortunately for you, right? No, yeah, absolutely. I would I would much rather be out in the field filming. Um, obviously, both have pros and cons. But yeah, uh, for sure. getting out and, and being outside and doing those kind of things was a obviously positive. So a lot of uh, a lot of people are starting to film more and more hunts this year on, yeah. on their own. People are taking cameras out and doing it on their own. It's so easy. The barriers to get into that kind of thing are, are going less well, and less. Yeah. Digital cameras are cheaper mm-hmm. and GoPros simple are cheaper. Simple GoPro, you can film your, your, your hunt, um, but you can buy simple handheld cameras and a tripod and you can be ready to go. So in your experience, as far as filming goes, I mean, you just talked a little bit about the challenges of filming turkey hunting. What are some of the more challenging things to actually film? You know, quality-wise, because I'm not going to say that it's the same for us as it is for everybody, because we have a certain production standard, you know, uh, that we go for. Things can't be super shaky. Things have to be quality. Mm -hmm. So as far as all the stuff that you did when you were back here filming, what do you think some of the tougher stuff was? In terms of pure filming it, um, something like a quail hunt. Okay. To where you gotta follow, have to follow the birds in the air as they're flying, and then getting shot and being prepared for when the shot takes place. Because a lot of times it's hard as a as a photographer, a videographer, to when you hear a gunshot and it's so loud, because you usually have an ear, ear headphones in, so you can hear everything that the host is saying, and then you get a gunshot. It's real loud, so it's hard not to flinch. Mm-hmm. So you gotta prepare for that, along with the following the quail through the air, through the ground. And those kind of things. So that's really hard. My background in sports videography really helped me for that. Following yeah, baseball, baseballs, basketballs, and footballs, footballs yeah. on a you know a daily, weekly basis. Um, but for people that haven't done that, that's that's difficult for a lot of people. Um, but um, besides that, sometimes it's just the the longer you know fishing trips where you, you're really slow, and mm. then you're you got to stay on your toes at all times though because you never know when it's going to turn on. That's true. Um, but um, yeah, you could be out there on the boat for six hours and mm-hmm. not get a bite. But at that point, that that bite is that much more important. Right. When they catch that fish, it's so much more important mm-hmm. because you know you're, there might not be another one. Yeah. And so. anybody out there is, is a fisherman or, or a hunter, you know, you're going to have a lot of trips that are unsuccessful, more so than successful a lot of times, and that happens to us too. But like you said, we're we're not at liberty 
you know, we only have so much, so many resources and so much time in the day to get to get quality programming for our viewers. And that's what we're trying to do, showcase all the opportunities. So like you said, whenever we've gone six hours without a without a fish, we're still trying to get a show mm-hmm. um, because we don't want to have to replicate another six hours on the boat to try mm-hmm. to get this particular show. So we got to be on our toes and, and ready to go. And that means with your, your camera in your hand, a, a GoPro camera, recognizing, you know, what other ex, ex, uh, shots you have to get because of that one catch and how things have changed lighting-wise from the morning to the afternoon. So mm-hmm. there's a whole lot that goes into it to produce a quality television show. And like you said, we have such a different production quality level compared to many people out there. Uh, YouTube has presented great opportunities for, for these smaller um, TV shows or programs, you know, these, you know, anybody can go out there and get a get a camera and film their hunts, and people put put forth a lot of quality quality video. And there's some fun stuff out there. There's a lot of fun stuff, and I watch I watch a lot of it just to learn, mm-hmm. but also because I'm, uh, it's it's fun to watch and um, it's enjoyable. But we try to do some things differently with the team with Kentucky Field because we we feel like we owe it to our our viewers to put forth a quality production level and and you know coming from a background of working in uh, TV sports and that kind of stuff it's it's my background as well to make sure that uh, we put something good together you know I do and you did this before as well I do a lot with uh, social media back here and YouTube I kind of take on those roles and try to manage those things and how well our YouTube channel is doing is something to be proud of too absolutely because I mean like you said a lot of people are going out there with cameras and and filming their stuff and putting it out there so there's some more material for people to watch out there but at the same time our YouTube channel is performing very well yeah you look at the it's not like it's a consistent line when you see our growth i mean it has really boomed up yeah and um i you know i'm i think that's kind of cool too and that probably has something to do with our production standard probably has something to do with how much stuff we do yeah i think things tend to ebb and flow but in a time where traditional television is is a little bit on decline where you see all this digital media coming forth um through netflix and the roku and even YouTube, like you said, um, I found it very interesting that in this last year or so, our YouTube channel has grown more than it ever has. And I think that just speaks to what the, the content that our viewers want to see, and not just our viewers, but people all across the nation and the world that are that are catching on to our content. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've we've doubled, you know, our our subscribers in the last year and a half, basically. How do you think so? I th- the reason YouTube is doing so well, the reason you talked about Netflix, Amazon, all those things, and I'm asking you this because you obviously were in the executive producer role and you've been in TV for a long time. One of the reasons all those things is becoming are becoming more and more popular is convenience. Mm-hmm. People don't have the time to necessarily sit down and watch a show at a given time. Some people do. Some people tune into our show every day, every Saturday at eight thirty. Yeah, please keep doing that, please. Yes, that's that's great, but. Netflix and YouTube and Amazon and all these things have allowed people to watch what they want at their own convenience. Right. Which is really important when people have kids and they're running around, maybe you have sports or yeah. they're they're working different schedules and things like that. You can literally just sit down and watch it whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that's that same trend of convenience has uh, has rolled into hunting or fishing or is are there any opportunities that have taken off because of convenience i mean it's kind of different when you're hunting a lot of times you're working on nature's schedule it's kind of like that that tv that you have to still be sitting in front Mm -hmm. of at a certain time you know yeah i'm not really sure um what you might be thinking about um 
Well, I mean, I mean, the thing that came to my mind, and I don't think this is what you're talking about, but just in terms of using your phone while in a tree stand or <laughs> as a fisherman, looking at the weather. I mean, myself, I'm such a – I look at the weather all the time when it comes to fishing and hunting. Like, I, I keep looking at it every five hours this week before Saturday, knowing that – hoping that – but uh, hoping that the weather is good for tomorrow for hunt, turkey hunting. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what you well, – I was just thinking, I mean, the white bass run has become more popular, right? And – Part of that's because of social media, obviously. But another reason it could be growing in popularity is because you can go down there any time of day. Yeah. You know, and if if during that two-week window, whenever it is, it's not like you have to be sitting in the deer stand at daylight or stay there until dark or, you know, you got to be out there to listen to the turkeys gobbling on the roost. It's it's one of those things that you can do at your convenience during a certain time period. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what I was thinking. I didn't really – I was just spitballing there. I was trying to Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, people – like our time, it seems like is is taken up by so many different things mm-hmm. these days. Especially if you have kids, which neither one of us do at this time. Um, oh. But just talking to our the folks that we know and family members and friends, and and how hard it is sometimes to get out in the woods and do the things you enjoy. Um, you know, you got to figure out time to to get down to the Salt River or into a tree stand, and and uh, so it's just like you said, you can you can take take netflix or roku and and that's why one of the re, one of the reasons that we as a as an agency and the tv show decided to to uh to get on roku you know you can get on roku and watch whatever you want whenever you want and we also Kentucky just field and yep. the same thing with youtube well i was gonna say we recently started uploading full episodes to youtube yeah and a lot of people watch years, it yeah we hear, we hear people actually when we were down the Salt River fishing the other day, mm-hmm. a lot of people say they DVR our show to yep. watch it. That happens a lot. But one guy specifically said I watch it on YouTube. That's mm-hmm. where I watch your show at. But what I was just kind of thinking is, you know, convenience plays a factor, but there is no TV show, no nothing like that. I mean, some some live sports events like March Madness, UK playing in the championship game. I'm going to make sure I'm sitting down to yeah. watch it. You know yeah. what I mean? No doubt. But I mean, I I feel like I'm a person who really loves deer hunting who mm-hmm. really loves hunting and fishing and in different opportunities not all equally but there's some things that i just really love doing so that convenience factor doesn't apply to me because i'm gonna make time yep. to get out there and sit in the woods and that's how it is for a lot of people that you know it's it's that getting in the woods for me and for a lot of people for you is as important mm-hmm. as kentucky in the elite eight game yeah you know against auburn or kentucky playing in the final four against louisville like mm-hmm. it's a can't miss well it's funny because it brings up something that chad miles actually told me one day when i was i was trying to decide i can't remember what game it was but um it was trying to decide okay it was a great day to be outside either hunting or fishing or watching a uk basketball game or something like that and he told me um in his opinion it was much better to be a participant as opposed to a viewer hmm. get out there and experience it even if you feel like you might be missing you know one of your more important uk basketball games or something now like i said if it's a tournament game i'm probably going to be sitting from my tv yeah. no matter what but and my, my attitude when you told me that kind of changed a little bit because growing up uk basketball and even football were such a big part of my life that i didn't miss it for anything mm-hmm. but then when, when he told me that and it's something that'd be weighing on my mind anyway that I need to get outside and do these things if when the opportunity presents itself. I can always catch up on a game or catch up on a show later on. And that's what I wanted to go back to was one thing that having access to these shows and having access to television, whether it's Kentucky Field or anything else, you can watch it whenever you want. Mm-hmm. So now you don't have to 
stayed at home to watch it that at that time instead of going out to the woods or going fishing. So it actually presents a lot more opportunities for you to get out because you can go back and watch it whenever you want. I'll say two things to that. First thing I'll say is that Chad's a Louisville fan, so that's easier for him to say. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Yeah. It <laughs> is a lot easier. He doesn't have to miss as much. No, I mean, hell, next year he won't even have to worry about a tournament to watch. It might not. <laughs> might not. I'm just kidding. He will have a better team, though. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, so, we'll see. Could I be mean, good. At this point, they're one scholarship over, so they need somebody to leave. Yeah. Probably Wara. But, I heard it was V.J. King, actually. Oh, V.J. said at the end of the season he was staying. He couldn't look. He was looking forward. Well, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But anyway, that's that's a little off topic. I just like to bash my friend in a friendly way. Bash I've a got plenty fan. of local friends we should have. That's a friendly rivalry yeah. for the most part. It's funny though. But um, I'll say that I'm guilty. Uh, actually, I was hunting with you one day this year. We were in separate stands. It's the day that you had 25 deer run past you right to me. But yeah. I was watching a UK basketball game in the stand. Uh, in the stand that day. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, cell phones have made it easier. Yeah. So sometimes you can choose both. You can. You can choose to go hunting. And, I mean, obviously you're not going to be fishing, casting, and reeling and things like that. Turkey hunting, you're probably much less likely to do it. But when you're just sitting in the deer stand, I mean, you can have your phone out and have it on mute or have a set of earbuds in one ear. And yeah. you might look up and get surprised at what's standing 10 yeah. yards in front of you. But. Yeah, it, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. Uh, it also be, could be the, the worst of both worlds because you could be paying attention to the game or something. And then, like you said, a, a big old deer standing right there in front of you. Um, but part of, and you know, I've done that before, so I'll admit I've done that before 100%. Um, but also part of being in the outdoors to me is just being in the outdoors well and so in a perfect world i would not do that but like i said i have but part of being out there is just experiencing the birds and you know one time this year i was in tree stand a great horned owl came and flew right over and sat in a on a limb you know right above me and it kept looking at me like i was food and it was just one of those experiences that you would never get if you're not a hunter or somebody that just enjoys hiking or being in the outdoors and those you know what? What happens when a bobcat comes by? You know, I, you know, being yeah. um, with the Slato Wildlife Education Center right here, and there's a bobcat back there. I was there yesterday during a bobcat enrichment, and there's so many of these kids and the and plenty of adults that are like, I've never even seen a bobcat, and you know, even as a hunter, that's only happened once in a tree stand. But I think you know, wow, to go my whole life with never seen it without ever seeing a bobcat in the wild. This it's just one of those things. If you really sit down and think about it, just experiencing that aspect of it is truly part of the experience for me. Now, saying all that, obviously, you know, I have watched a game in a stand. Here's what I'll say: there are a lot of purists out there, and I'm not bad. This is kind of my point here: is not to hate on anybody. (laughs) There's a lot of purists out there that say if you look at your phone while you're in the stand, if you get on social media, then you know you're not doing it right. There's a lot of people out there who. I would probably think do spend way too much time on their phone or yep. doing that stuff in the stand. They need to soak it up more. Mm-hmm. But what I'll say is you should do whatever you want while you're hunting that makes you enjoy it the most. Absolutely. You know, whatever that specific experience is. There are times I go hunting where I don't even remember that I have a cell phone. Right. You know, where I'm just like, I've got all this action going on, deer moving, I'm seeing wildlife. I mean, I'm like that. There are other times when there might be something on my phone that I want to look at or I want to see. And, you know, I, I feel like I usually do whatever I want. Because it gives me the most yeah. enjoyment. You yep. know what I mean? And that's how I think people should do it. You shouldn't put yourself in a box of, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. No. You need to do whatever you want to enjoy it at the time. As long as it's legal, safe, eth- ethical. I'm not going to bash anybody for enjoying the experience, Experience however best suits them. Yeah. Um, because their experience is totally different than my experience. And we could be sitting, you know, like you and I that day, sitting in tree stands 100 yards apart. Our experiences could be the 
could be totally different, but we're enjoying it, enjoying it in different ways. Yeah. So I'm not going to bash anybody for that. As long as you're outdoors and, and and experiencing it, I think that's the first step. And then after that, it's however you want to do it. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of speaking specifically to um, how you enjoy it. But you know, a lot of people bow hunt and gun hunt, and there's always debates going on. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about that because. As long as there's people that bow hunt, mm-hmm. gun hunt. I mean, I've I've had those same debates with my friends. I wouldn't yep. I wouldn't say anything to a complete stranger, but like I might poke my buddy with a stick every now and then. You yeah, know? definitely. But um, like the other day, we were out fly fishing Otter Creek, and we talked to this one fly fisherman, and he said, "Well, I'm kind of a purist, you know, and I'm a traditionalist when it comes to fly fishing. I don't use the barbed hooks, and I only used hand tied flies and." A little bit later, Chad caught a fish, and I mean, he was using a mop fly with a barbed hook and all this stuff. And Chad had this nice fish, and he released it. And this guy was like, "Did you catch that on the mop fly?" And Chad said, "Yeah." And he's like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, kind of upturned nose." And I was like, "What's the point?" He's, he's just mad because he didn't catch a fish yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's like yeah. I don't under, understand people that that have to have it a certain way. Do you really want everything to everybody to do something the exact same way right. that you do it? Right. And I, no, not at all. Sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm i not really set in my ways. I mean, sometimes I deer hunt off the ground with my bow. Sometimes I deer hunt in a tree stand. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like I do a lot of different types of things. I'm probably a master of absolutely nothing at all. But. I mean, it's funny because just in the time I've known you in, what, three three years or so, you know, you, you the way you hunt and specifically some of the ways you hunt are different than the ways I would ever think about doing them just because your experiences over the years have been much different than mine. Mm-hmm. And it's opened my eyes to some other possibilities. So if, if you always go into it with a closed mind and the way other people do it, then you might not enjoy it to the, your fullest abilities because you're not opening yourself up to that. So, um, and it's definitely allowed me to see a, different, a few different ways of doing things. Hey, and the one thing is, when you're dealing with wildlife and you're dealing with nature, it's not like there is a best way to do it. Because I'll tell you what, you'll go out there on some days, mm-hmm. and this might have worked, yeah. or you might not have success doing this, but if you would have done that other thing, you would have. Right. Does that make sense at all? Absolutely. Like, it's always going to be different. There is no one way that is best. Yeah. And you can go out there and you can do things the same way each time and you might have great success. You can go out there and you can do things the other way each time and you might have great success. But I just enjoy experiencing different things. And that's just me personally. A lot of people are more comfortable and, and more happy you know, in the way they know how to do it and the way they enjoy doing it. And that's yep. perfectly fine too. But yep. there are probably there have probably been days when I've been turkey hunting or days where I've been fishing or deer hunting where I did something one way, and if I would have done it a different way. Might have more luck. Yeah, and yeah. specifically I'm thinking about two or three deer hunts I've been on. But Yeah, yeah, we always look back at those and, and like, okay, hunts, if I'd done that differently. I think the deer hunts are, and the turkey hunts too, are just a little bit more obvious as far as what you might have done wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you're fishing, yeah, you don't always know what it is. Like the other day, I mean, I'm pretty sure I caught saw guy because I was fishing deeper and casting right. in a deeper water. So that's pretty obvious, but... Usually when you're deer hunting, you know if it's the wind, you know if they saw you, you know what you did. Well, like I know you've talked about, so in the past turkey seasons, you usually kill one. You kill one. You, you get a shotgun, and then you want to kill your next one with the bow. Yes. But you've not really been successful doing I'm, that. So my question is, <laughs> starting tomorrow, yeah. are you going to do the same thing? Yes. Get one and try to kill one with the bow? Tomorrow I'm out there with my shotgun. Yeah. And if I kill a turkey, then I will pick up my bow. Okay. But, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily hold true to that. Yeah. All the time. Like last year, I killed the first one, and me and you were still going turkey hunting. I was taking a shotgun because I, right. I would have enjoyed doubling. Yeah. But if I'm going by myself 
Chances are. Have you ever killed one with your bow? I haven't recovered one. So no. That's a, that's the thing I hate to say. Yeah. yeah. Is it when you're bow hunting for turkeys? And this is a good timely thing to talk about. It's really hard. Yeah. And I've never of, tried it, so I, one, I mean, I know it's hard. One of the things is the kill zone can it, it kind of hides in there because when you're looking at a deer, that deer pretty much always looks the same. You know mm-hmm. where everything is. But that turkey, it might be, it might be just in normal walking mode. It might just be standing. It might be strutted up. Yep. And the kill zone changes based on yeah. You know what you're looking at there, and what I've always heard is aim above the legs, two thirds the way up the body, and that's that's the what I'm going to go for mm-hmm. if I if I do get that opportunity. But turkeys are very hard to recover because yep. they don't they don't bleed they don't bleed hardly they do obviously but not much at all and they don't bleed a whole lot plus they got the feathers yeah which kind of holds it in mm-hmm. and uh, they'll fly on you occasionally. And so when a bird flies off it and without a blood trail, it becomes very hard to yeah. find. So and then when they do, if they are injured, they like to go hide underneath stuff or, yeah. or something like that. So that's why. I mean, I'm not. I I think that it's perfectly ethical to turkey hunt with a bow. Oh yeah. But you need to know where you're shooting because well, it's very why easy. Some to. people use those guillotine type mm-hmm. broadheads, and they can be really successful. But it's a really small uh, place to shoot at. Especially yeah. when a bird's moving and bobbing and, you know, strutting at one point versus sticking his head up at some point. So, you know, it's one of those things you got to practice that and make sure you're practicing um, before the season. Mm-hmm. So don't pick up a bow right now and then go go try to kill one with with, a, with, with the bow tomorrow morning. Yeah. But um, it's just one of those things. I'm looking forward to it, man. What time is it right now? I know you have a time schedule. You're yeah, I got on. some more. I got a little more time. Sweet. I have a few other things written down here that I was hoping we could talk about because uh, you're you're more well connected than I am now. You're up front. You're not stuck in the back back here with us peasants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> but um, yep. So, anything new going on with fish and wildlife in general? that would be good for people to know about just be interesting for me to know about because honestly i'd like to get more in the loop yeah one of the main things going on right now is um starting um so starting next week the department is going to have a a group of cwd public forums so for those that know don't know cwd stands for chronic wasting disease which is a, a potentially uh, dangerous disease for cervids, and cervids for for our purposes are are deer and elk, mm-hmm. um, but they're also moose and caribou, um, mule deer. Um, Doesn't affect cattle though. No, that see, so CWD is very similar to mad cow disease. Mm-hmm. It's basically kind of the same situation, but for cervids. Um, and as far as they know right now, there are, there's no way to transmit. It's not transmittable between um, transmissible, I should say, between. Mm-hmm any kind of species but uh so starting april 18th we're having a public forum so the public can come out and hear what the department of fish and wildlife is doing to prepare for the possibility of cwd coming to kentucky because last year last deer hunting season it, it, they found it in tennessee mm-hmm. um so it's not too far from our borders the latest ground to test which just came back a couple weeks ago were all negative mm-hmm. so as of right now um cwd is not in kentucky and that's what we're trying to keep that way but for Really, since 2002, the department as a whole has been really proactive in making sure and doing our best to make sure CWD doesn't come to Kentucky. Um, since 2002, the department has um, tested over 30,000 deer or elk, and they've all come back negative. Mm-hmm. And they've tested multiple um, spe- multiple multiple animals in all counties. So every single county is represented in these tests, um, for all the way from Paducah um, all the way out to 
to Hazard and Pike County. So, yeah. Um, so those that that first forum is coming up Thursday, April eight, April eighteenth, um, in Benton at the Camp Curry Dining Hall from six to eight p.m. So anybody that comes out will have a chance to ask questions, um, listen to the presentation, understand what the department as a whole is going to do, has been doing, and then also what the plan is when if CWD does hit the state. So. And you, you've talked about, you know, since 2002, we've been testing. I don't know if the people can hear this lawnmower, but, I, you know, it's spring, so... Yeah, here our, we go again with lawnmowers. Yeah, I remember last year we had plenty of fun with the lawnmower. Um, right outside the window. I don't know how he does it, but anyway, I, mean, I don't think it's coming across too loud, so we'll just keep rolling. The uh, Since 2002, you were talking about all the testing that's been, been going on. Some regs have been updated and changed. I know when they found CWD in Tennessee last year, we changed our regs so that now we are a complete closed border state. Right. So no server can be brought across state lines into Kentucky. Oh, it has to be the the right. br- the brain and the spinal matter has mm-hmm. to be removed. Your best bet is to just if you do happen to kill an animal um, in Colorado or Tennessee or anywhere, uh, you know, a deer or an elk or whatever, your best bet is just to bring the meat back. Well, and uh, you can you can have it you can have it um, you can still have the tox- taxidermy and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you just need to the best bet is to look on the the website fw.ky.gov and look at the all the regs mm-hmm. um, that right. you're required to abide by. Here's what you can do. Just based on the regs. I mean, if you want to have that animal mounted or if you want to have a skull mount or something like that, say you, say you kill a nice buck in Indiana mm-hmm. and you want to bring it back and have it mounted. When people, when a taxidermist mounts a deer, it's on a form, right? And all that taxidermist needs is that skull cap. So it's yep. basically you cut a V out of the out of the antlers. Most people have probably seen this before. It's just the antlers and where they attach to the skull, that section of the skull. And you remove the brain. Right. You remove that from the actual skull that has a brain in it. So you can bring that back. Yeah. And you can bring your cape back. Right. You just can't bring the brain or the spine mm-hmm. at all. And say you want to have a uh, like a European style mount done, the full skull, a lot of people bleach it. You would have to boil that skull, you would have to clean that skull completely so that there was nothing in it before you cross the state line with it. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's just really important to keep in our state CWD free, which yep. we want because CWD is one of those things like EHD is closely re- related. Uh, it's similar, but CWD has the potential to be much worse. In effect, they're pretty similar, right? I mean, the way I understand it, because I'm no expert, I probably, yeah. we should, Gabe or Kyle Sams or somebody like that, but the way I understand it, the blue tongue is a symptom of both of them, right? Because it cuts off some oxygen. No, CWD is 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 really specific. Um, it can it can be in the ground and can could yeah. be there contaminated for for years and possibly forever. Okay. Um, but CWD eventually, this an, the animal is going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be, and I don't know exact terminology, but it could be in that animal, but not be recognizable for four for five, four or five years. Wow. So an animal, a deer, could be walking around for four years and show no signs whatsoever of mm-hmm. CWD. And then all of a sudden, it starts starts going downhill. Well, that's much different than EHD. It's then. a lot different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, see, I'm I'm obviously no expert. I might have this Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Polo on, but I'm not a <laughs> biologist. Okay. Yeah, and that's why it's important <laughs> to get on the website and yeah. really look up the differences between CWD and EHD. Um, and it's so easy to get them confused because they sound similar. The little acronyms sound similar, and then um, yeah. some of the symptoms are the same. They could. I mean, you could look at an animal, and 
it could be you could, you could tell it's disease the way it's walking around but you don't know if it's got EHD or CWD because mm-hmm. it could look very similar yeah. the symptoms could that's be very why, similar that's why I was com- a little yeah. bit confused there but, but EHD comes from a midge we we talked about that when EHD yeah. was going on it mm-hmm. comes from an actual fly bite right and uh, CWD comes from the soil yeah yeah it's so. mainly, mainly it's spread via saliva Ugh. between animals um, and that's why when you get a bunch of animals grouped together um, it can create issues uh, and possibly spread CWD. But, but you know, it's a, it's a difficult situation because currently CWD is positive in in Tennessee, you know, just, you know, less than 100 miles from the border and also over in Missouri, less than 100 miles from the border. So, and one of the things about the plan that the department has is when it's tested positive in, a, in an animal within 30 miles of our border, part of our plan goes into effect. So that's why it's important for you to come out to these meetings. The first one, like I said, is April 18th in Benton at the Camp Curry Dining Hall. You can get on the, our website and find out more information. But it's not going to be the only one. We're going to have several more across the state. If you're in you know, Frankfurt or if you're in Hazard, just, just be patient. We will have more of these meetings over the next few months, and they will be advertised soon. So, so don't feel like you're going to miss it if you don't go to the one Thursday. But we do hope we have people out there. Uh-huh. Um, like I said, uh, 6 to 8 p.m. Central Time at the Camp Curry Dining Hall in Benton. And uh, you can always get on the department Facebook page or our website to get more of that information. Like I said, department representatives, biologists will be there to answer any question mm-hmm. you have regarding CWD. And I would say, that, you know, a lot of people, you say go to the website, uh, this and that. Another great resource is Google. Just type Kentucky Fish and Wildlife CWD, and yep. I bet you that first page that pops up will be the link to the page that you need. Mm-hmm. You can Google Kentucky Fish and Wildlife and then almost type any topic. Right. And when you click that link, it's going to take you to the correct page. Our, yep. our website is not hard to navigate. I've looked at other state agencies before, and I think ours is pretty good, but there's a lot of information mm-hmm. on our website. Yep, and our webmaster folks or our IT folks do a great job of, yep. of making sure the pertinent information is there and uh, up to date mm-hmm. so well i was just saying navigating those tabs because there is such a mass of information i mean mm-hmm. we have stuff about pretty much everything you can imagine on yep. our website as it relates to hunting and fishing and wmas and, and and it's important because there is a lot of misinformation out there about cwd that's come from many different uh avenues across this across the uh the country really a lot of misinformation that's why it's important for you to educate yourself and uh as the lawnmower goes by. <laughs> there goes our friend. <laughs> and um, so educate yourself. Uh, read up it on it yourself. Don't depend on other people to explain to you what CWD is because if because it's very possible the message is getting lost in translation. And that's why it's important to figure it out for yourself. Go to these meetings. Learn from our biologists who have done a ton of work in this field for many, many years and uh, are, and believe it or not, have the best interest of the deer herd at heart. Um, they're deer hunters themselves, and they don't want there to be any issues in the long run. Uh, one thing I think about is, you know, back two or three decades ago, the folks that worked at Fish and Wildlife, their big deal was was retaining and uh, reestablishing a really big deer herd within the state, and they've done they did that. Obviously, we're reaping the reward, rewards of that right now in terms of deer hunting in the state. For us as an agency moving forward, it, it might be a situation where it's preservation. Uh, where we're preserving the deer herd for the next generations to come and part of that fight might be cwd um it's just uh it's yet to be seen how it will affect us and if it does at all um because the department as a whole has done a great job and and being proactive and making sure that uh, 
it, it stays away as long as possible. I agree with everything you just said, but I can't help but wonder what this person is doing on this lawnmower. I know I had fun with this last year, but I mean, there <laughs> is literally 10 feet of grass outside this one. Pretty window. much. Uh, hey, they're they're vigilant. They're making sure every blade every, of grass is cut. No blade. Our maintenance crew is yeah. is they've got a lot of grass to cut, and it's pretty much when they finish the the, the grass across campus once they got to start back up the next day because it's a lot. This grass outside of this window is extremely important, though. Apparently, it is. Yes. Uh, do you know? I wanted to ask you since turkey season starts tomorrow. You know, last year Zach Danks did the uh, turkey hunter uh, participation surveys. Do you know if that's something he's doing? I've not heard anything about that this year. That's a really good survey, though, because mm-hmm. it helps him get so much more accurate information. Yeah. I was thinking about giving him a call and actually asking to see if he if he was doing that this year. Yeah, I'm really not sure. Let's just see what Zach has to Are say. Are you going to call him right now? Call him on the phone. <laughs> nice. I wish his lawnmower wasn't out there. I mean, now they're blowing pelting the windows with. Us. He's probably taking off to prepare for turkey hunting tomorrow. That's what Joe McDermott was doing when I yeah, talked to him earlier. Either that or prepping for uh, a survey himself because last year they were positioned at places mm-hmm. across the state but i don't i've not heard of anything like that for this year so i would imagine not well the the survey I'm, he didn't answer for people out yeah. there who listen and can't hear the phone ringing over the lawnmower that is i don't understand perks i really don't get it i'm happy these i mean i love our maintenance people so that's great it's just amazing how they hang up at this one window <laughs> for so long but the survey it was, was just like when we're out trying to film something there's the plane flies over so oh, it's yeah. the same concept plane flies over anything like that but the survey that i was talking about was an excel sheet is yeah. that what you're talking about yeah you, i, I you, filled that out last year you were talking about specifically the um, birds that they went and surveyed yeah, yeah. it's todd i'll just saw him it's todd his little head just went right by the window. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's a survey that you can fill out as a turkey hunter and kind of ask you, you know, what days you hunted. or you, It's almost like a log that you can just go in and, and use during your season, keep it in your truck or something. And when you go hunting one day, you know, Mark, yeah, I went hunting today's day, probably hunted for four hours, saw this number of turkeys, and that's all you do. And each yeah. time you go hunting, you just write down what you saw and how many hours you hunted. And then it's like a pre um, he'll give you an envelope or there's mm-hmm. a way to turn that in and it helps him collect much more accurate information yeah. because it goes hand in hand with the harvest data we want to see what hunter participation is like each year how many hours people are putting out there mm-hmm. how many days they're hunting how many they're seeing and it just allows our turkey biologist to get a much better idea of what's actually going on with the turkey population yeah and i'm not sure if he's doing that survey this year um it's very possible he is but i, I would imagine he is it's a good chance he is because all of our biologists are in tune with that kind of stuff and and, you know, whether it's our turkey biologist or quail biologist, deer, you know, they're always looking for that public input, hunter input, and uh, what you guys as hunters do out there on a weekly basis in the field um, is important because as just a, a few biologists working, they can't cover as much ground or as many animals as, as we do as hunters. So it's important that we par- all participate in really um, helping these populations of animals uh, for years to come. I'm looking at our website right now. Um, we've got the checklist for first-time hunters that is on there. Uh, some information about field of fork, fall turkey hunting, public lands, current season dates. This is all on the fish, fw.ky.gov. Right. The regulation about feeding wildlife, which is something that a lot of people probably get confused about. Mm-hmm. We talked about it briefly on the last podcast with Danks. 
but from March 1st through May 31st, you cannot feed wildlife in any way, shape, or form outside of the immediate area of your home. Right. And baiting turkeys is one of the biggest no-nos. It's one of the biggest things that the game wardens yep. keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, I mean, game wardens and law enforcement, they're, they, they're aware. They know where a lot of feeders are mm-hmm. before turkey season starts. Yep. And they'll go back to those feeders yep. during turkey season, yep. opening weekend, during the week, whenever, mm-hmm. just to see if somebody's hunting around them. And you can't take it out just the day before. It's got to be gone way before well, that. March 1st is the actual date. Yeah, exactly. They, they, exactly right. they say you can't. It's 30 days that they say. It's but 30 days, so the, yeah. the reg actually says March 1st. March 1st mm-hmm. is when you can no longer be baiting wildlife. Mm-hmm or feeding wildlife outside yep. of the immediate curlage of your yep. No preseason calling is on here. Um, yep. And that just has to do with ensuring the quality of the hunt. Right. Hunter requirements are Basically on you here. can't go out there this afternoon and call, you know, the Friday before and try to call. If you're going to practice your turkey calls, do it in your house or do it in your truck. Yeah. Uh, what you can do, you, you can, like, owl call, hoot call, right? Right now? Yeah. I'm not sure. Can you do that right now? Just a hoot? Just a, like an owl? Go out there and you know what? try to shot gobble? Since you're asking, I will read you what it says right here. I'm pretty sure you can. No person shall, a person shall not mimic the sound of a turkey in an area open to turkey hunting and where turkeys are reasonably expected to be present from March 1st until the opening of youth-only turkey season and from the close of youth-only turkey season until the opening of statewide turkey season. However, locating turkeys with an owl, crow, coyote, or woodpecker call is permittable. Yeah, I thought that was possible. So it's just basically it says you can't sound like a turkey. Yeah. Before. And like I said, that's just about quality of hunt. Not just for yourself, but you could be, whether it's on public land or even next to other private properties you don't you know that could possibly educate turkeys that you know maybe you're not that great of a turkey caller and you make a back a call and educate those turkeys and it might hurt the the quality of a hunt moving forward yeah it has a lot of information on that i'm on the turkey hunting yeah. page on the kentucky department of fish and wildlife website yeah a lot of questions people have really would be negated if if the hunting guides the fishing guides were researched more than they are mm-hmm. and just go on the website. I mean, you could spend days reading our website with all the information it has. And maybe you're just a, just a turkey hunter. Maybe you're just a, a a rifle deer hunter. If that's all you all you if that's all you do on a yearly basis, it's important that you go on the website or, or pick up a guide and really read and educate yourself on the rules and regulations, not just for yourself, but um, just for the, the purposes of um, everything around you. Uh, just really quickly, I want to tell you just the topics that are covered on this page as yep. I scroll through. Public lands, spring hunting season, feeding wildlife, no preseason calling, hunter requirements, spring season bag limits, harvest recording, calling and assisting a caller, hunter orange requirements, possession of live wild turkey eggs, release of wild turkeys, legal spring turkey hunting equipment, prohibited spring turkey hunting methods, gobbler and hen identification charts and, and pictures, turkey hunting safety tips, general information. Yeah. Uh, it goes all the way into concealed carry. Yeah. Um, whenever you're hunting, if you can conceal carry a handgun. It, and, it is the purpose and the mission yeah. of the department to conserve and protect all natural resources, animals, those kind of things within the state. Mm-hmm. And just all that you listed down there is such a great resource. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what we are, are tasked to do, to make sure you as a hunter are prepared for, for seasons like turkey. Mm-hmm. So we just ask that you uh, participate and uh, and make sure you're prepared as well. You know, people, we've talked about the mission before. I have with, with Lee. I don't know if you have with me before, but that really is the mission, is to protect and conserve 
the wildlife, right? Yep. And uh, it's so much good. So many good things have happened. The deer numbers have returned. Turkey numbers have boomed. I think I've, I've said a long time ago that during the first turkey season Kentucky ever had, I think 12 toms were harvested. And that might be a misquote, but I promise you that mm-hmm. it was less than 20 or something like that. a very small number. And I, yeah, Harold Knight was one of the first people to kill a turkey in the state. He was one of the only people that tagged one that first year. But the way everything works, like somebody might say, well, how did, how is Kentucky a field um, protecting uh, the resources? Well, I mean, it all works together because the biologists are obviously hands-on uh, coming up with the plans. Law enforcement is out there, excuse me, um, enforcing, you know, making sure poaching isn't going on, making sure people are, are buying their license, which it allows for the funding to actually put into action everything that we need to have put into action to buy the public lands, to do the habitat work. Um, When we were stocking or releasing deer and elk and turkey and all these animals to allow that to happen. And Kentucky Field and the I&E department, which is what you're kind of over right now, you've moved up into the actual I&E department more more so than just Kentucky Field. It includes Salado, Kentucky Field, the magazine. It's about educating people and informing people to opportunities. It's about recruiting new hunters. It's about showing people things they can go do, just educating the public in general about what the department's doing, Mm -hmm. which is going to generate more interest and generate more support. I mean, it it all really works together in this whole big web of things to complete the main mission, which Mm -hmm. is to support and conserve the wildlife. Yeah, the Information Education Division is really the the direct contact with our constituents, which are the hunters, the fishermen, Mm -hmm. the sportsmen, the sportswomen. Um, and, And I'll be honest, you know, we as an agency and us individu- individuals as employees are not perfect in our jobs, mm-hmm. just like I don't think anybody's out there perfect is perfect in their jobs. So we have our mission of what we're tasked to do, and we use the information, the biology, the science behind everything we do to try to make the best possible decisions for everything involved in terms of our natural resources and hunting and fishing. But, you know, like I said, we're not perfect. Sometimes, you know, the right decisions aren't made, and not that I have any specific examples right now, no. but we have because so many of us have the, are are out there in the woods and on the water doing these things we want the best for 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 it as well so so we're doing our best to make sure that uh, the resources are there and are available and are in their best possible uh, position to thrive so I was just trying to tie it into yeah. how, you know, Kentucky Field supports that mission mm-hmm. because you you stated the mission and I really like, mm-hmm. I, I love that mission and I fully support it. And I'm, you know, obviously I'm not the guy who's yep. out there saying we need to uh, change the deer regs to this and that because, no. because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm not law enforcement. I'm not out there saying, well, you, you took a deer out of season. That's, you know, which obviously goes against the mission mm-hmm. of protecting and preserving. Yeah. But I, I feel like my mission here and yours and all of us back here at Salado and the magazine and the TV show, et cetera, is that we're still supporting that main mission because we're educating people to what, what's going on with the department. We're, yeah. we're highlighting opportunities so people can get out there. And I mean, maybe somebody hears the podcast today and they're like, you know what, that white bash run would be a good way to take a kid out there and mm-hmm. get a kid involved in fishing. Yeah, yeah and I kind of. I kind of took your comment a different direction because yeah. I had it on my mind, but but there's no doubt, like I said, that we are the direct contact with the, with a lot of yeah. our the, the sportsmen, sportswomen, because um, without Kentucky Field Magazine or Kentucky Field TV or maybe this podcast, many people might not 
might not see you know on television or on their their computer screen the opportunities that are out there so we're tasked with making sure that we cover a wide variety of topics that we showcase you know all the different aspects of, of being a sportsman mm-hmm. sportsman or sportswoman and really enjoying the outdoors to their fullest and that's what we you know we try to do and uh, especially at the tv show um and we have a great crew back here that really has that mission at heart and tries to showcase all those different opportunities and we just hope you know if, if we have for every show we produce which is about you know anywhere from 40 to 45 brand new tv shows a year mm-hmm. and for every one show we created one new outdoorsman or outdoors woman yeah. we've done our jobs you know what speaking of that point which is great and this is off topic 45 shows a year 50 whatever the number yeah. is times two segments per show mm-hmm. not not necessarily every show but typically right. we try to have on every show two new segments right mm-hmm. so we're at 90 yep the 80 to 90 new segments a year right that how many days 365 in a year right eight goes into third it's 24 yeah 24 32 four times so you're looking at I just got lost. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to do math too fast. My mind. So you're looking at a new segment roughly every four days is what I was getting mm-hmm. at there. Four days is somewhere roughly in that ballpark. Yep. But, you know, think about that as, a, as an individual and think about it from Chad's perspective. If you have to have a successful fishing trip or a successful hunt or something every four days yep. year round, it's tough. There's no other outdoors yeah. television show that does what we do. And I don't say that to brag. Um, but it's just the fact. Mm-hmm. It's the facts of the matter. They're producing anywhere from 10 to 13 new episodes a year um, with about 20 minutes worth of fresh content, maybe 15 to 20 minutes. And that doesn't hold a candle to what we do. And like I said, I don't mean to brag, but it's just the facts. And uh, we hope that the, the our viewers recognize that and just know that uh, we're doing our best. Since I've gotten here, and most, most of your other TV shows focus on probably deer hunting and turkey hunting or elk Mm -hmm. hunting or they're focused you know hyper focused or just fishing or something like that since i've gotten here i have covered musky fishing red ear fishing bluegill crappie bass trout covered all that i've covered elk Mm -hmm. i've covered whitetail turkey trapping beavers uh i've gone and caught ducks with a rocket net i mean all this different stuff we've covered snakes amphibians bats I mean, there is not a show on earth, if you ask me, that covers the wide variety of stuff we do. Yeah. No, it's there's a, not. And and a host, and our host, Chad Miles, who has to have at least a little bit of knowledge of every single thing yeah. we do. Is, is Do you know anybody out there listening? Do you know one individual person that knows enough about each of those topics to go out there and, and hunt or fish and or complete the task? Well, Chad's really, I don't. A lot of, the good thing is a lot of the hunting and fishing, Chad's good, right? Yep. He's a very, very, very good fisherman. Mm-hmm. He's been hunting his whole life. And yep. some of the, the good parts about, because, I mean, obviously, Chad knows about the mm-hmm. other stuff, but he's not super knowledgeable. Right. I, I don't think I need to say he is. No, he, he, he doesn't know all of it. There's it, no doubt he's not an expert on all of it by any means. It kind of helps in a way, in my opinion, because the stuff that Chad isn't super knowledgeable about, yep. our viewers aren't either. Right. So when Chad's learning, he's asking those questions and finding out himself on the show, that is the exact same thing that the viewers need. Yeah, and that's why we try to find those, whether it's our biologists or just a regular Joe out there that's been doing it for 20 mm-hmm. years that knows the topic by heart, and he can showcase um what 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 it is and how to do it such as you know i got um, one for you stacy 
now you, you well you said a regular Joe, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Lacefield yeah. in the building of a, a bow. Mm-hmm. He literally goes out there and takes an Osage orange tree yep. and turns it into a longbow and then goes out and kills a really nice mm-hmm. deer with it. Yep. And that's become one of our more popular videos on YouTube also. Mm-hmm. You saying a regular Joe is what cued me up for yeah, Joe no, Lacefield. He's, he's, he's right, and he's a department employee. Yeah. Um, but, but he's not an expert. He's not a like a professional. Yeah, that's not what his job is. Yeah. That's just he, that's just what he does on the side. He's so knowledgeable mm-hmm. about it. But there's others that we meet, whether they're a They've got a squirrel dog, or they're a falconer, or anything like that. There's just so many different small things, and we we love finding those uh, characters for sure, and just finding those uh, topics out there. Like you recently did a did a shoot on a rowboat, mm-hmm. which I never heard about. You take a when you say row, you almost sound like you said a row. It's, I did say roll, but you I, I had to say roll. It's a roll with an R O L L, like a Tootsie yeah. roll or a Swiss cake roll. Yeah, that's correct, right? All right, well, that was that was interesting, and that should be on YouTube soon because I think that was on the show last week. But yeah. I know we need to wrap things up. I need to get this podcast out today so I can go get ready for turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see, I'll leave it off on just a few quick things. If you can, go put them to bed tonight. Go out there somewhere you can see and see if you can locate turkeys in the field maybe an hour before dark and watch them fly because if you know where those turkeys are going to be tomorrow morning that is your best chance yep. for success Don't right let off them the see bat. You, but but just kind of know where they are I'll, I'll watch them wide open from 500 yards away yeah they don't care about you that yeah. far away but if you can't do that tonight then get out there tomorrow morning and when the you know you don't have to be out there in pitch dark because turkeys aren't going to pitch down until the sun's actually crested the horizon they they like i said their eyesight might be their their best friend as far as keeping themselves protected but it's not very good in the dark so them being safely in a tree when it's low light situations is to their advantage they aren't going to pitch down super early you might be able to get lucky enough to hear them gobbling in the morning on the on the limb maybe try a hoot owl call maybe try a Crow call is typically more for the afternoon, but just make a loud noise and they might gobble at it tomorrow. They might shot gobble, yeah. You can, you can slam a car door and they might shot gobble. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just try to locate them tonight or tomorrow morning. Put yourself in a good situation. I talked to Harold Knight a year and a half ago or something like that, a year ago, and he said that he likes to set up about 200 yards away from them on the limb. He doesn't like to get too close. Don't yeah. want to get within 150 yards, but yeah. you don't want that bird to have to think it has to cover half a mile to get to you either. Right. So set up within, you know, 150 to 300 yards, somewhere safe to where it's not going to see you walking in. Put a few decoys out. Um, a, good, a good point was made at lunch today to us. Put your decoys on a line away from you. That way, if you're worried about shooting your decoys, you only have one spot you can't shoot versus mm-hmm. a whole scattered area where you might not want to shoot. But I told the guys I would shoot my decoy in a heartbeat to kill Tom. <laughs> so you make it Tom, I probably would too. Yeah. Anyway, let's wrap it up. Let's get ready to uh, go hunting tomorrow. I know you've can't got wait. some some administrative stuff you've got to take care of. Yep. But good luck tomorrow morning, Brooks. Same to you. I appreciate it. And good luck to any listeners. Yep. And if you want to... Uh, yeah, just if you want to send in a picture of your turkey or something like that for the ones that didn't get away, or just send it to our Kentucky Field Facebook page so we can see it. That sounds good. Yep. We're always looking for some content like that. So, absolutely. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thank you very much.